2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
3: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis,
3: Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Barbara,
1: this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, and I'm ready to answer your money matter.
4: Yes, good evening. How are you? Fine, thank you. Um, I bought a new home a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if it would be feasible if I were to rent out this new home uh, and I figure I can get approximately ten percent on my money and buy another home.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit about you, Barbara. How old are you? I'm fifty. Fifty years old. Right. Married or single?
4: Uh, at this point, single.
1: So you're single. Right. What's your income right now, Barbara?
4: I make thirty-two thousand, but
1: I, I get uh, about thirty in gifts from you know, from family members who right. are re- who are reducing their estate. Okay, so your salary is around thirty thousand. Right, 32000 32000 salary, and about $20,000 comes as gifts each year. Yeah. Does that come in a lump sum, or does it come throughout the year?
4: No, lump sum.
1: All right, now, what about your living expenses?
4: Um, you mean per month?
1: All right, or yearly, either one. Uh, what...
4: about, say about 800 a month.
1: All right, you have no mortgage in your home? Right. All right, so you're only spending about $10,000 a year. Right. So you're accumulating very rapidly. Right. And what do your investments look like? What's your portfolio? What do you have right now in assets?
4: Uh, I have a ho- about a hundred thousand dollar house. All right. About uh, eighty five thousand in stock and about a hundred fifty cash.
1: Eighty five thousand in stocks and a hundred and fifty thousand in cash.
4: Right. And I have no deductions.
1: Uh, that's right. You have no, well, you have no mortgage interest. Right. And you're not making charitable deductions. Uh, let me see. First of all. When you say that you can rent it out for ten percent, you mean of what you buy it?
4: Yeah, I paid ninety six for it, and I can get about nine hundred fifty a month rent.
1: All right, so you paid ninety six thousand dollars for your house.
4: Right, ninety four, and put two into about ninety six.
1: Yeah. All right, if you rent it, what? Do you, where are you going to live?
4: Well, I was thinking of buying another house.
1: No, you don't want to do that. Okay. No. No, don't speculate with real estate. Okay, and that's what you're doing. I also wouldn't go into real estate as an investment for income. But my question to you also is, why income? You got more income than you can use right now, right? In other words, if you're if you're only spending ten thousand a year and bringing in fifty thousand a year, then your need isn't income. Your need is something other than income, right? Well, yeah, it should be growth. Well, I'm not sure exactly. But it's certainly not income right now. It may be financial security. Yeah. Let me ask you this: Who inherits your estate after you die?
4: Well, I really have no one. I'm debating. No children. Yes, I do, but i They're not. I don't want to leave it to them.
1: All right. Do you have any charitable inclinations? No. All right. I. Uh, well, now that's interesting. What um that is a debate. If we're not going to go ahead and leave it to the kids, not going to leave it to a husband. Not going to go ahead and leave it to, when. I, by the way, in the way of charities, you can do things like universities. Um, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations, come uh, um, cancer research, that sort of thing.
4: Yeah. Well, the way I have it set up now, everything's going to my brother who doesn't need it anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the ways that we have successfully been working recently is using a vehicle called a charitable trust. Mm-hmm. In which we set up a vehicle which produces a large retirement income for you, the donor, so that you can never out, you can never outlive your income. No matter what happens, it always is growing on you. Okay. And then depending on whether the donor, namely yourself, wants to pass it on to someone else or not, we then set up a second trust. In your case, if that's not one of your major goals, you could have a lot of interesting uh, options available to you because in setting up this trust, we also make you the trustee or the manager of the trust. Okay. But it lets you sell and buy in the trust and pay no capital gains taxes. Oh, okay. You see what I mean? Yeah. One of the reasons people have problems, you said you've got $85,000 in stocks. Right. Now, do any of those stocks have high growth up on them?
4: Oh, yeah, they all do.
1: So that means you've got a problem, right? Right. As soon as you turn around to sell one, your accountant is going to warn you you've got capital gains tax yeah. to pay. Yeah. Well, we could set up a charitable trust, let's say, with you... Uh, designating that maybe the uh, Cancer Research Institute or the AIDS Research Institute, or maybe set up a cha- a foundation in your name, uh, which will go to different types of charities designated either by your children or by someone else after you're dead, mm-hmm. but then make you the trustee of this trust where you manage it. Then we transfer things into this trust, and then the trust with you as manager, trustee, can sell and pay no capital gains tax but all the income generated in this trust comes back to you. And then And not only that, you get a big tax deduction for doing it.
4: Okay. And then upon my death, whatever's left the the uh, That's
1: called the remainder interest. Okay. That will go to in your case, it <laughs> might be good to set it up into a charitable foundation mm-hmm. and designate a family member for the foundation to choose which charities or which universities you would like it to go to. Okay. He, and it can also... I mean, sometimes also you get 50-yard line seats, by the way, if you use a certain university.
4: Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: And you have chairs named in your honor and all that sort of thing.
4: Yeah, so then my biggest problem would be to decide who I want to leave the money to.
1: I got good news for you. What? You're also allowed to not even make that decision now. You can name one but reserve the right to change the charities for as many times as you want as long as you're alive. Oh, okay. Isn't that nice?
4: That's nice, yeah. Well, then getting back... Uh, to my financial position at this point,
1: your if money I, needs to be in mutual funds and pooled monies. Possibly real estate partnerships, if you wanted real estate pools of managed monies, is where your money should be. We want to protect for long term future.
4: Right, and plus I stand to inherit quite a sum
1: too. Well, if I were you, Linda, plus you
2: want to, you know, you want to plan for when you're going to inherit, you know, right uh, the estate. Probably what would be good, Barbara, is if you call the office okay. at eight seven two seven thousand. Then I can send you some information, and that might give you a little bit more direction as to, uh, you know, your own specific situation. Okay. Okay? I will do that. And thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
1: Intriguing lady. The more she talked, more and more areas of planning kept occurring to me. There was exactly. cash flow planning, and there was retirement planning, then there was investment planning, then there was charitable giving. Yeah, gift and planning. I
2: think it's I think it's wonderful how the lights start going on that huh, I need to get a handle on this situation and make this work for me. Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning?
1: Well, investment planning. You know, Linda, I think it might be good if we come back to just the basics for a lot of our listeners in trying to figure out exactly what is a mutual fund. Because, you know, Linda, a mutual fund is really an investment company. In other words, it's a company that invests in investments. It invests in stocks and bonds and things like that on behalf of other individuals with common goals, right? Well,
2: I would agree. And to understand mutual funds, let's explore six features about mutual funds. Okay. First is simplicity. In today's complex financial marketplace, Mutual funds offer investors a simpler, less expensive, and less time-consuming method of investing in stocks, bonds, and government securities than trading them individually. Investors invest in the fund, and the fund managers invest in the securities. So the first feature is simplicity.
1: Right. Now, the second feature of mutual funds is diversification. By pooling different investors' dollars and spreading them over dozens of stocks or bonds, The mutual fund can diversify its holdings. A diversified portfolio reduces risk should some of those investments turn sour and increases the chance of picking up some potential winners. It's the old principle of not putting all your eggs in any one basket. So the second feature of a mutual fund is diversification.
2: A third feature of mutual funds is choice. A mutual fund investor has more options than ever before. There are stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, government bond mutual funds, tax-free mutual funds to satisfy all outlooks from the most conservative to the most aggressive. Of course, generally speaking, intelligently assumed risk increases the opportunity for greater return. Mutual fund investors select a fund with an investment objective that most closely matches their own. For example, one may want to maximize their current income or maximize long-term growth, or they may want some combination of growth and income.
1: Right. In addition, there are specialized funds, Lynn, which are available these days. For instance, there are funds that invest only in certain geographic regions of the U.S. or of the world, or certain industries like healthcare funds or technology funds or energy funds or bank funds. There are even funds that have adopted certain social criteria for people who, who only want to invest in areas of the economy designed to help humanity. So the third feature of a mutual fund is choice, big range of choice.
2: The fourth feature of a mutual fund is professional management. Once you've selected a mutual fund with your objectives, the investment decisions are made by the fund managers. These professionals decide when to invest your money. The money managers make these decisions based on extensive outgoing economic research into the financial performance of individual companies or individual bonds, taking into account general economic and market trends.
1: Yeah, and and that's good, Lynn, because, you know, after analyzing all of this data, then the manager chooses investments that best match the objectives of the fund. And as economic conditions change, the fund may adjust the mix of its investments to adapt either a more aggressive or a more defensive posture. So... The fourth feature is professional management, probably the most important feature.
2: The fifth feature of mutual funds is flexibility. While some investors prefer to pick a single fund and stick with it for many years, others look for a family of funds. And a number of different mutual funds with different objectives all under the one roof usually fall under the category of a family of funds.
1: Yeah, in a family of funds, investors can switch then from one fund to the other fund as their objectives change. And the nice thing about family of fund investing is there's no commission charges. For example, they might want growth of capital during their early years, and then later at retirement, want income from their fund. Well, in a family of funds, they might have had a growth fund for years, and now with simple telephone call, they can switch to a government bond fund paying monthly checks, and there would be no commission charges when they do that switch. Or they might have an interest in international investing, and switch to a fund investing in European companies. So, the fifth feature is flexibility.
2: The sixth feature of a mutual fund is liquidity. Mutual fund investors can cash in all or part of their shares at any time at the day's price. The fund is always ready to buy back the shares at the net asset value quoted in your daily paper. Basically, mutual funds offer just about something for everyone, whether you've only got $500 or $5 million. So whatever your objectives, safety or income or growth or tax savings, mutual funds probably have something for you.
1: These features of a mutual fund itself make make us at least take a look and see, well, that's what a mutual fund is. And for those who aren't real clear, I hope the comments have helped.
2: Well, some people, you'd be surprised, I get people that call in uh, listeners that call in at the office and maybe they're participating in some vehicle within their 401k, but they don't understand what it is or how it works. So it is good to come back to the basics.
1: My office number is eight seven two seven thousand. If I can help you anymore, give us a call during the week.
2: It is important to know that you're going in the right direction. Anyone that takes a journey, eventually if you've, if you've left port You want to arrive at your destination, and that's what we do every day at Lewis Financial Management in Midtown Raleigh, helping folks like you, our listeners, uh, face the challenges of changes in your, uh, whether it's uh, in your world, whether it's in your work world, whether it's uh, planning for retirement, job loss, whatever the situation may be. Sometimes it's just a matter of just sorting out all your stuff, as some folks say, because most most uh, listeners that we've met with over the years, they're very diligent about saving, saving in a retirement plan, or if they've inherited, trying to figure out where am I going to put this money? So whatever your questions are, write them down on a notebook or do them on the computer and then call us at Lewis Financial Management and work with a certified financial planner, and get answers to your questions, right, Doug?
1: Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no other solution other than having a plan—a plan that encompasses everything, as you said, Linda. Encompasses not only your investments but your future retirement and your estate and all the other areas. And once you have a plan, then you stick with the plan. I have been enjoying giving away this book, The Middle Class Millionaire, recently. And again, I'm reminded how many of our clients started out 30-some years ago not as millionaires by a long shot, and they have become these middle-class millionaires. Some of them, of course, uh, are enjoying still listening to our radio show tonight. Uh, but my point is that with a plan, it is, it is possible and probable And without a plan, it is virtually impossible.
3: Yeah,
5: beautifully said. Check out our website at DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
3: Recently, a reader wrote into the News and Observer a question uh, in regard to a financial question that they had. And here's the question that they wrote in. My daughter has an inherited IRA annuity and wants to cash it in. It was set up so she has to take a yearly distribution. If she withdraws the entire amount, she will be taxed about 40% because of her income and federal tax penalty for early withdrawal. Is there a way she can move, can move this money to another investment fund that wouldn't tax her as much if she withdrew it? Now, Doug, Linda, we get a version of this question often and frequently. We do, we do. So, this is a typical situation. So, if this is your question, call us tonight. Let us try and help you answer your own question. Yeah, the,
1: uh, the IRA beneficiary is going to either be one of two kinds of people, there is no third, it's going to be a spouse. Or a non-spouse. Okay. Dogs can't inherit IRAs. Okay. okay and neither can cats, only humans. <laughs> and they will either be a spouse or a non-spouse. So a non-spouse, and it's typically going to be a, do- a child, just like uh, this question here. The child really has three options and three options only. She can withdraw the entire amount in one year and subject that distribution to federal and state income taxes And indeed, it's going to be probably 40 or maybe 40, a little bit more than 40%. And that, of course, is the least desirable option. That's one choice. Choice number two, she can take it over five years and spread the taxes over five years. And then choice number three is to do something which is very, I would say it's getting more and more, um, attention these days. Sometimes they're called beneficiary IRAs. Sometimes they're called stretch IRAs. Sometimes they're called inherited IRAs. But a child may not treat the IRA as their own. They cannot do that. A spouse can. The spouse can go in and take it 100% tax-free.
3: That's right. Roll it into their own. That's right. That's
1: right. If you have a $5, million, do- own, right. if you have a $5 million IRA and you die, uh, and you leave it and your wife is, is is alive, she can receive the entire 5000000 million tax-free into her own IRA. Or even if she doesn't have an IRA, she can set up one right away and receive it tax-free. But the child cannot. The child cannot contribute to the IRA or make any rollovers into or out of the IRA. So what happens is, now in this third choice, if she doesn't want to go ahead and pay the 40% tax as a one-time withdrawal or the five-year uh, with uh, tax over five years, she can then go ahead and set it up as a beneficiary IRA. These inherited IRAs would then be titled, such as, let's say, Child Jane Beneficiary IRA of Deceased Mother Joan IRA. So she identifies it that way. She's not taking possession of it. And then what happens is there is something called a required minimum distribution, otherwise known as the RMD.
3: Now, Doug, I have a question. Let's say there was more than one beneficiary.
1: Well, if there's more than one beneficiary, maybe, uh, maybe she left it to two or three children. It's the exact same story. They can take it as a lump and pay the tax. They can take it over five years and pay the tax in fifths or they can set it up as far as different stretch or beneficiary IRAs. But what I'm pointing us to is there is always a required minimum distribution which is going to be taxed. And that required minimum distribution is based on the life expectancy of the daughter. So the daughter inherits the IRA and now her distribution is spread over her life. So the tax, which has to be paid, is paid in little, tiny, tiny little dribbles. There is I knew one-
2: you were going to say dribbles. <laughs> that was in my head.
1: <laughs> well, if these required minimum distributions are not taken, then you run into a huge penalty, which is a 50% penalty. Now, you can always take a distribution larger than the required minimum. You won't owe any penalty. It just may put you in a higher tax bracket. So, spending a little time, a little money for a consultation with someone like myself or like my daughter, Deborah, we are certified financial planners, it would be a wise move for this individual. Uh, losing 40% of taxes makes no sense. And And then the question of the changing the investment, which was the second part of the question. Yes. We want to realize that the IRA is a container. We always talk about investments in our office as chickens because chickens are a nice illustration. Chickens give off eggs. Investments give off income. So we call the investments chickens.
3: Then we call the IRA a Chicken house. Chicken house. Because this is a container or a protector of your assets, your in, your uh, investments. Right. And the protection is from the IRS. So it's about taxes. So right. This thing called the chicken house is the IRA. And the
1: important thing is never to confuse the chickens with the chicken house. Right. Don't confuse the annuity that she wrote in about with the IRA, right? Once you go ahead and use a stretch IRA, she can move that annuity over to the stretch IRA then surrender it and that will not go ahead and trigger a tax event and then get new chickens
3: That's right she can add whatever kind of chicken she wants she
1: can add mutual and funds usually, she can do anything she wants
3: when a, when a, when a non-spouse meaning a child beneficiary of an IRA usually by definition you have a longer life expectancy so therefore you're going to have different investment needs. You're going to want to change those chickens. That's right. That's exactly. right. You know, if you, if you were yeah, um, and
1: an annuity for a, I don't know how old the daughter was right. who wrote who the who the the writer wrote in about her daughter, but let's say the daughter was only thirty-five or forty years old, and annuity would be absurd.
3: Right. I mean you'd be more much more likely to be in growth investments. That's so, right. So so yeah, the chicken house and the chickens are different.
2: You have to evaluate each and you have to know what you're you know, needing. So if you're out there listening, this is Money Matters with the Lewis family on news radio six eighty WPTF. And if you have inherited an IRA, maybe you're the beneficiary of an IRA. Maybe you've accumulated 200000 or 400000 in your previous 401k, and it's still sitting there. And maybe you need a second opinion about what you should be doing. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. We're in Midtown, Raleigh. That's 919-872-7000. We'll be happy to help you with your questions about your retirement planning and what you should do with what you've inherited. As we prepare for the radio show, as we prepare for our week, as we meet with a
3: client, as we review with long-term clients who've been with us maybe for decades, the same thought is always first and foremost on my mind, on Doug's mind, which is... The reviewal process of beneficiary designation forms is very important. It is not something that is going to pass by the will or the estate instructions. This is something that is specific to inheriting the 401k when the husband predeceases you and you are or he was an ex-husband like in Walter's uh, friend's situation or if you're just starting out and you're opening up your own first 401k and you're single and then later you get married. This beneficiary designation form is very important. Review it. Have a copy of it. If you have questions about it or how to change it, call me at the office. I'm always fielding questions in regard to these. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000.
1: Anne? Yes? Hi, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you this evening?
6: Um, you can help me by telling me what would be the best thing to do with, say, $10,000. We're We've just we're going to take it out of a savings account. And wanted to invest it in uh, mutual funds, and we were.
1: Who is the we? Are you married, Ann?
6: Yes, my husband and myself. And
1: how old are you? Uh, Forty. How old your husband?
6: Forty-three.
1: And what's your income?
6: Um, hmm, I guess around between eighty and ninety thousand.
1: Between the, two, are, you, are you both working or just one?
6: Well, he works, and we have a farm. So my title is farm manager. He kind of pays me to. Keep things straight. We've got some rental property on a farm.
1: So 80 to 90 thousand combined income. Yes. And it's farm income.
6: Well, no, it's predominantly through his job, uh, with the university. But we do have a farm and we do have rental income.
1: Okay. So the job pays 80 thousand and then the 10,000 extra is from the farm.
6: Uh, yeah. In roundabout, in roundabout okay.
1: figures. Okay. All right. I just wanted to get the stability of the income. Uh-huh. So the stable part is the 80. That, that, that feels pretty comfortable, right? Yes. You're not going to, you're not going to be, n- not much risk of being fired, of losing your job. No, no ho-
6: hopefully not.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, so you got a $90,000 combined income. Children?
6: Uh, we have two boys, two, 10 and 8. 10 and 8? Yes. Two boys, 10 and 8.
1: We have college education needs there. What kind of investments do you have?
6: Mm. I wish he was here to talk with you, Doug, because
1: I'm just kind of learning about what he does. Let me me back up a second then because it sounds like, Anne, like you don't have a lot of numbers at your your hand. Is that right? Right. Because my next question was going to be your living. Well, you may. A lot of women have a better feeling of what they're spending than their husbands do. Do you know what your expenses are running?
6: Uh, Each month? Yeah. Well, we spend less than we take in. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, well, it, that's helpful. Um, How
1: much are you spending? Um, I
6: don't well, three
1: thousand a month. All right. Well, let me show you. Three thousand a month is only thirty six thousand a year. Uh
6: huh. So, that's if, well, see not yeah. Um, you see it, where I'm going?
1: Yeah, I'm it, heading towards that ninety. Yeah. Well,
6: it's, we've you know we've been able to save. Um. But what he wants to do now, and the reason I was calling, is, we were just sitting down this morning. He's talked with the financial planner. Uh-huh. But we were debating about which way to go uh, as far as trying to accrue money for the boys' college education. We've had it in something very safe, and now we're at a point where we feel like we can go with something that if we, something a little, that would pay a better yield, yeah, we realize we'd have more of a chance of losing it, I guess.
1: Well, you really need to approach it from the view of the total financial plan, uh-huh. and before anyone can make any recommendations, they need to look at the total picture, and uh-huh. the total picture is composed of about five different parts. Uh-huh. For example, you've given me one part, that's the income. Uh-huh. The next part is the expenses. know, I don't think you've got a good handle yeah, on those, really, yeah. Right, but once a person has the income down, and the expenses down. Uh-huh. And then the third thing they have down are the taxes. Right. We have to know what the taxes are. Then the fourth thing we look at here, what are the present assets? The present investments that you have whether it be in cash, T-bills, mutual uh-huh. funds, municipal uh-huh. bonds or whatever they are. Uh-huh. Once we have those listed, then we go to what are the needs? Right. In other words, in other words, what are we, what are the goals? Now you've got 10 years to meet one college education goal. Uh-huh. And you've got eight years to meet the other. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Then we've got to look at retirement goals. All right. So we've got to look at funding for college education and funding for retirement or financial independence.
6: Right. Doug. Yes. As far as meeting those college goals, can you make, you know, can you say what is the, you know, if you've got 10 years, what would you suggest to do with certain monies right now?
1: Yeah, I can, but what I'm saying is you can't, it's sort of like a Chinese puzzle. Right. If you put on one piece, you're affecting the other pieces. Sure, they've all
6: got to fit in.
1: In other words, I would not go ahead and have you put your, if if, if I knew that you had an asset allocation of $150,000 spread amongst three or four things, uh-huh. all right, and then if I found out what kind of college we're planning for, we need to decide whether we're planning for public or private school because the costs are radically different. Oh, sure. All right. If I know the number that I'm trying to plan for them, then I can take those dollar figures. I can inflate those up 10 years to get to the future year that we need uh-huh. to have it available to start your child from college. Uh-huh. And then come backwards from there and say, how much do we need to set aside monthly to reach that using an aggressive position like a growth stock fund? Uh-huh. And then how much do we need to set aside monthly using a conservative position? Uh-huh. Then there's a third way. Is I can say, what do they have in present assets? If they've got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, for example, I have to get their living expenses today. Say, when do they want to be financially independent, or when do they want to retire? Mm -hmm. If they say they'd like to be able to retire in eight years, then I inflate their living expenses from now up till eight years to get that future need. Uh I subtract from that future need how much their retirement plan or their pension at work will cover. And the difference has to be met from their personal assets. Mm-hmm. I then go ahead and, and allocate that money into different types of investments and test to see if it will grow under a conservative strategy to meet that need. Right. If not, if it's going to take an aggressive strategy, then I have to be careful about the kid's college yeah. because I'm taking from Peter to pay Paul.
6: Right. So so you can essentially plug numbers that I would give to you into a formula. Of course, it varies with, you know... The numbers that you put in that's
1: right once I've got all of the pieces once I've got the five pieces of the person's puzzle once mm-hmm. I've got their their income their expenses their taxes their investments and the future goals that we're trying to reach mm-hmm. then I can start moving things around and in, in, on paper to made to see if they can make it under the most conservative or under the more aggressive etc mm-hmm. but but yeah. but but you have to see it from the whole view. Right,
6: I see. Well, one other question: Do do uh, do, do most financial planners work on a, a set fee or a, a commission or so much a month or so much initial?
1: All right, it's very. That's a good. It's a good question, and the answer is quite simple. If you're working on a straight commission basis, then you're really a salesman calling yourself a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. 90% of the people or more out there, probably 95% of the people in the yellow pages today who call themselves financial planners are either stockbrokers or insurance agents. Mm-hmm. And it's not illegal to do so. So this is part of the problem. But what you, you so you want a fee based planner. That's a planner who charges a fee. Mm-hmm. That fee can either be by the hour or by the year. Uh, there are different arrangements they make, but your, your your fee needs to be based upon something that's other than investing. I see. If it's based on you investing or you buying insurance, mm-hmm. then that person can't be impartial. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yes, it is. Because if you don't buy anything, he doesn't make anything.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Now, I understand
6: completely.
2: And if you'd like any further information, you can call me at the office. And the number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000.
3: Thanks, Ann. Thank you, Doug. Uh, All right. Appreciate your help. Speaking of questions, Doug and Linda, I do a lot of reading and found um, a an couple question and answers in the Kiplinger uh, Retirement Report. And I thought a few of these might be interesting for our readers to see if it was their situation. One of the questions was, when a charity and children inherit a single IRA... And if the person would like the two sons to inherit, how do they make sure that they, as equal beneficiaries, do this the correct way?
1: Yeah, this is tricky. Uh, the first answer, the first thing to to realize is, can you do it? And of course you can do it. And as you said earlier, Deborah, there is, no matter what your will says, it has nothing to do. Your will can say that I want my IRA to go to John or Jane or whomever, but the beneficiary on the IRA is the overriding legal uh, document. And now here we have, what about having two sons and a charity as equal beneficiaries of an IRA? Yes, you can do it. But you have to advise... Uh, the guy who wrote in, he had the sons, so he has to advise his sons of the steps they need to take right after you die because the sons, if they don't make sure that the charity gets its share out by September 30th of the year after you die, then the sons are not going to be able to do stretch IRAs, and that means they're going to have to pay that 40%, let's say. On the other hand, uh if the charity gets its share by September 30th, then your sons are gonna be able to take required minimum distributions over their life expectancies, and that would allow the, that IRA to grow, tax deferred, maybe for decades. So uh, I would say it's a great question, but you gotta remember, the charity has to take its part out first.
2: And I like what you
5: said, Doug. It could be for decades. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
3: Another question that was written in was, I just received an inheritance. Does that count towards Social Security earnings test?
1: Yeah, the answer to that question, Deborah, is no. Social Security earnings, the limit only applies to earnings... From work, that's for an employer, or from self-employment. It does not apply to income from inheritances. It does not apply to pensions or investment income or retirement accounts. So the answer is no. The Social Security Earnings Test has nothing to do with this kind of, of income inheritance.
5: Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
3: Well, another article was an article that referenced the seven
2: challenges of becoming suddenly wealthy. Yes, this was in wealth management. There are seven real challenges for those who come into sudden wealth, be it inheriting the family's millions or winning the lottery. And it can help to understand these struggles and to create a game plan.
1: You know, looking back over the last thirty-some years, I would say this matter of sudden wealth. Uh, I can remember different types of sudden wealth uh, situations. Number one, uh, there is the horrible tragedy of uh, the early death of a parent, and the child has has inherited a large amount of money, and it wasn't supposed to happen. The parent might have only been in their fifties or something like that. And of course, this is one. We've had a number of those. Then, number two, there is the physical tragedy where there has been a huge uh, physical uh, tragedy and there's been a. Perhaps,
3: yeah, one of the spouses dies and leaves the remaining spouse with this inheritance.
1: Well, okay, that's another whole one I'm talking about. All right. The the one I'm thinking of uh, where we've had several of those is where there's been a physical tragedy personally and there's been an insurance allotment. Okay, where well, the insurance company has given uh, a large amount of money uh, because of this kind of a of a terrible situation. But then there's the kind you're talking about, Deborah. that's number three. And this is the more normal one where after living together for so many years, he dies and she now has inherited a large amount. And this is her sudden wealth. And the fourth type of sudden wealth that I'm thinking of is uh, it's the the entrepreneur who grew a business and then sold it and bam, here comes some millions. So these areas of sudden wealth, we've seen them all. That's right. But as you said, Linda, all of them have the same seven challenges.
2: And the first of these seven challenges is squaring away the emotional impact. Yeah, the article
3: said when someone's financial circumstances change significantly, the reactions can be vast. But for most, it's usually sadness, particularly after the dust settles. While they know they're supposed to be happy, instead they experience a sense of loss because the life they knew is essentially over.
1: Yeah, it's a new life now. All of a sudden, you are a
5: millionaire and you don't know what to do. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com.
2: And a second uh, challenge that people face that the article said is the challenge of making decisions.
1: Yeah, Linda, the big challenge with someone who suddenly inherits or comes into millions is that he or she can become overwhelmed with their choices. They have so many options that they become immobilized, paralyzed. It may sound heavenly, but the reality is that having infinite options is often stifling. So really, in a case like this, you need to work with a certified financial planner like myself, like my daughter, Deborah, so you can learn all about your wealth itself before moving forward.
3: Yeah. Another challenge to the suddenly wealthy is that you're going to need to find and develop passions it's not hard for most of us to identify what our hobbies and passions are, but our range of options is limited, usually bound by time and money. For those without those constraints, it can be tricky to settle on just a few, yet it's important for wealthy clients to do so, or risk exhaustion or overextension.
2: A lot of folks wanna know, what do I do with my time? Well, the fourth challenge of the sudden suddenly wealthy is what do I do about choosing charities and causes to support?
1: Yeah, this is, uh, this is a big deal because it may not be your passion or your favorite charity, but the arrival of this windfall wealth is also going to mean the arrival of truckloads of letters requesting assistance. Suggestions from well-intentioned friends recommending, oh, such and such amazing organization. They need some funding. And if you cut that check... You're going to hear from them, as well as other organizations who are looking for benefactors. So, finding a balance between not letting organizations know where the money is coming from and wanting to give, this becomes crucial.
2: Another challenge, maintaining meaningful friendships. Removing money from friendships is often the first step for individuals who suddenly inherit wealth. So, one of the most challenging moments arrives when a friend asks for a loan. Yeah, clients
1: experience this after maybe growing up as a middle-class individual in a rural town. They inherit millions of dollars right out of high school, and suddenly, the case I'm thinking of, he moves to a larger city, he buys a million-dollar house, then his old high school friends visit him. Later on, they move in rent-free, and now the relationships, the friendship's awkward. It's like he can't charge them rent, and yet resentment is festering in, in his being. And, and so this matter of maintaining meaningful friendships, really many inheritors have to find new friends in similar economic circumstances. And that is, uh, that's very important to realize because you generally won't have the same relationship with your old friends once they find out that you've inherited a number of millions of dollars.
2: Now, uh, the sixth challenge of the suddenly wealthy is you might want to consider a prenuptial and cohabitation agreements as well. It's not the most romantic conversation, but
3: many inheritors have to have the conversation with future spouses around a prenup. And interestingly, many times prenup agreements are required by the terms of the trust or the family office distribution processes. So, by the fact that, but just the fact that someone has a prenup doesn't mean that it protects them.
2: Well, these definitely are challenges if you become suddenly wealthy. And the article said that the f- seventh challenge. Is to find a therapist, but really, what you need is a financial planner.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I disagree. You don't need to find a therapist because the therapist is only going to be able to operate within the level of their uh, their skill set. But you need to seek out a certified financial planner, such as myself, to talk about the changes that you undergo as part of the inheritance process. You need to find someone who can give advice on not only investments but taxes. And estate planning, retirement, trusts, ownership, all these matters, and has worked with others in the same situation. To do so is hard, but it's not hard for us. Call us at Lewis Financial Management, 919 872 7000. We have been doing just this for over 30 years.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680. WPTF. We appreciate you, all of our listeners. Uh, We are the voice of financial planning in the triangle. Call us if you have questions and leave us your phone number and your name and your situation. Call us at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Hi Jeanette, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
6: Hi, we're in our middle 50s and we're about to make an appointment to either have a living trust or a will and I don't know the difference between them. What would be the best for us?
1: Now you say that you're getting ready to have a meeting with the financial planner?
6: Well, no, with a lawyer. We really need to have something set up because our adult kids really don't know what we have and we just need to have the difference between a living trust and a
1: will. Right. I can help you understand a little bit, but my first advice is don't meet with the attorney first. Meet with a certified financial planner that will educate you on how it ties together everything that you've got and then go to the attorney next. It will cost you much less that way. Is that right? Yes, because so many times I see clients coming to me with unfunded living trust, and I ask them, why'd you do it? And they say, well, my attorney said I should do it. I say, well, wonderful, you realize you've got a toothless dog here. You created a trust, but it's not going to do a single bit of good for you because the benefits that you're expecting to get from it won't happen unless it's been funded. Well, the attorney never told me about funding them. And the attorney generally doesn't do the funding and so forth. So I would recommend that you meet with a fee-based certified financial planner. That's someone who you're going to pay a fee for. He's not going to try and sell you anything. But he will go ahead and look at your assets. There are many cases that, where you don't need a living trust and many cases that you do. There are many attorneys that don't like living trust because it cheats them out of fees later on. Uh, that's the view of some attorneys. And there are many who feel that it's the best thing there is.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Now, to give you some quick little down and dirty pieces of information so that I haven't failed to answer your question. A living trust is generally revocable, which means that you can change your mind anytime between now and the time you die. It has two sections to it generally. One section deals with the things that you want to happen during your lifetime. Those are called the living provisions. And then you have the testamentary provisions or what you want to do happen at your death. And that's the same thing as a will. So it's got two provisions in there. Obviously, a will has nothing to do with your during your lifetime, but a living trust has two parts. It functions both during your lifetime and at your death. The IRS tells you that the revocable living trust has no taxable benefit to you whatsoever because you can change your mind. But the reason people very often want a revocable living trust is that It avoids the cost of probate at death because if you put everything you own in the name of this revocable living trust while you're alive, then at the time you die, you personally didn't own anything. This trust owned everything and so there's nothing to go through probate and all of the fees that you would generally pay an attorney to probate your estate are avoided. That's one reason people like revocable living trust.
5: Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? it's easy to get to com. that's dougandlinda.com
1: another reason people like revocable living trust is that at death you know how there's very often a nine-month delay to go through the probate process right well there's no delay anything that's in the trust can be distributed immediately according to the provisions in the trust a third reason people like revocable living trust are confidentiality at the time that you die Only the stuff that you own personally, in other words, only things that are not owned by this trust, are in the newspaper or available for public disclosure. Trust assets are never available to the public knowledge. Another reason that people like revocable living trust, probably one of the most important reasons that I recommend them for my senior citizens, is in the sake of incapacitation. If you don't die, but you get disabled, if you get paralyzed... You don't have to use a power of attorney to or a person doesn't have to have a power of attorney to continue to administer your assets, to take things from your investments, to pay your medical bills and so forth. Those are the reasons people want a revocable living trust. The differences between a revocable living trust and a will are basically the lifetime provisions. In other words, the what if I'm incapacitated? What if I'm disabled? There are obviously nothing like that in a will because a will doesn't start happening until you die. But a revocable living trust starts happening today. But the other thing you need to understand is all people don't need revocable living trust and all assets can't go into revocable living trust, such as your retirement accounts and your IRAs. And then there's the question of, do you want one revocable living trust for the two of y'all or do you want separate ones? Uh, really, you need to meet with a financial planner who can go over your assets. He's got to see everything. The right. attorney, the attorney done, doesn't look at your assets. You, you need to understand that. When you meet with the attorney, you won't bring him copies of all your bank accounts and copies of your brokerage funds and all of that. But when you meet with the financial planner, yes, he wants to see everything that you own so he can then get a picture and tell you whether he thinks it's worthwhile for you to pay the additional cost to have sure. a revocable living trust produced.
6: Now, we've moved 19 times all over the country, and we never know if we're going to move again.
1: That's another reason that many people like revocable living trust. That's a very good reason that people choose revocable living trust is because the probate process at death, if you die tomorrow and you own things in different states, very often you've got to go through probate in each of those states if you own it uh, outright. But if you own it in revocable living trust, you don't. I see. You see, each one of these issues is a question that really needs to be outlined much more in detail in front of a financial planner. Sure. Does, does that help you at all to get yeah, started? Yeah, that's, that's great. Some attorneys are excellent estate attorneys, and I, I know some really top estate planning attorneys. Others say they're estate attorneys, but they've got a little software package that you push a button and it prints out a will and fill in and makes it makes them look like, but they, they really are not estate attorneys. Mm. Uh, and the financial planner can help you evaluate the competency of an attorney.
2: There's one brochure that I have that I'd be happy to send to you about estate planning, and if you'd like to call the office in Raleigh, it's eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. I'll be happy to mail it to you.
6: Okay. Well, okay. That sounds just absolutely wonderful. Thank All you right. so much. Thank
2: you so much for calling.
1: Bye. Goodbye, now. And I want to always remind the public there is a major difference between. Money management and financial planning,
2: and what is that difference, Doug? Let's let's define that a little bit. Well, you got an
1: invitation the other day. You got a very attractive glossy postcard in the mail the other day. I thought it was beautiful. It was free dinner. Well, I mean, I thought it was a very nice restaurant you were invited to, Linda. <laughs> yes,
2: I was. Yeah,
1: and okay. uh, and it told you you were invited to a free dinner on investments and how you could go ahead and avoid certain issues with regard to your retirement tax. And, and as you read it, wasn't it beautiful?
2: It was. It was a nice it invitation. It was a wonderful. And it, dinner. So, it
1: sounded like it was going to really solve
2: all of your problems
1: until you handed it to me and I showed you in very light, light print in tiny, tiny text at the bottom of that invitation, you were alerted to the fact that this was an insurance company. And of course, that told me you were being invited to a free dinner to come and hear about annuities. So this is not financial planning. This is a sales pitch to sell annuities. Correct. That's not what you want. Financial planning encompasses every part of your financial life. It should encompass no sales pitch of any investments. It should encompass how to pr- plan for your entire world. It should encompass the world of investments absolutely, but that in- that, in- that investment portion doesn't come until after the end of. The process of gathering the information, analyzing the information, what we call deem. You remember Deem, Deborah?
3: I do. I do. So E would be for establishing the relationship. G would be gathering the data that you would need to provide us as financial planners. A, analyzing that data. That's what we as the planner would do for you. Develop a plan would be the D in EGADEM. And then we need to implement that plan. And then the last part, of course, is what goes on for the rest of your life and the rest of our relationship. We're going to monitor that plan. That's right.
1: And we charge an hourly fee for that process. You are getting advice. You're not getting a sales pitch. You're getting advice. That is financial planning. Planning is much more than money management. And I think I hear the music coming So everybody remember your money matters because your financial future is at stake and we are the Lewis family here to help you.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.